Hey everybody, it's Adam Pacifico and it is another new episode of the Leadership Enigma. Listen, we all want to make an impact on the world. We all want to be a force for good. In fact, here's a question for you. Who do you want to be right now? Well, guess what? I want to be me right now because I want to talk to my amazing guest, Carol Corfman, on this episode. Harvard faculty, thought leader, author, leadership advisor, leadership coach. In fact, Marshall Goldsmith ranked her the number one leadership coach in the world. And I'm just scratching the surface in relation to these accolades. Trust me, you do not want to miss this episode. Come back to me just after this. During constant change, your leadership has never been more important to create a better and more inclusive world. You're listening to The Leadership Enigma, a podcast for the insatiably curious to explore the power of human-centered leadership to create real momentum for positive and sustainable change. Whether you're an entrepreneur, business owner, or corporate executive, each week we speak to global experts, academics, rising stars, ambitious upstarts, and disruptors as we discover that success leaves clues. Now, here's your host, Adam Pacifico. Hey, well, there we have it. It is a warm welcome to the wonderful Carol Corfman. Carol, how are you? I am delighted to be here, Adam. And we are delighted to have you on the show. That intro kind of has already piqued my interest in relation to success leaves clues. And really, you're a specialist in relation to, I think, leaving clues and finding clues in other people in relation to the work that you do. But let's start a little bit. Just tell the listeners a little bit about you. I gave a few bits and pieces, but come on, how would you describe mm-hmm. you? How would I describe me? I would describe me as someone who is very earnest and compelled to try to bring the best out of people, including myself. I'd say that I'm curious, not quite as curious as you, I don't think, but I'm really, I love being a teacher and a trainer and working with some of the incredible people that I get to. Now, you are very much driven. You've got a personal purpose, haven't you? A strong personal purpose. Tell us a little bit about that, because I just think that's a wonderful starting point for us. Tell us about that. Well, this is a this is the way that you and I sort of bonded right away because you were talking about really a force for good. So my purpose as a leader and a coach is to, and I can describe it later, the words are a bit odd, but it's to be a conduit of joy, the sort of truth to care for and challenge the powerful, galvanize their goodness so they can change the world. And um, that is what guides me. So when I'm at the end of a coaching engagement or even in the middle, if they're way more successful, et cetera, that's good. But if they are a better person, that ripples out through their organization. Now, I love the fact that out of all of the guests that I've spoken to, there's only been a handful, it really is one hand as well, who have had a very strong personal purpose such as this when did you create that carol well (laughs) my family life growing up kind of created it for me my father was a um, diagnosable sociopath and he was also the ceo of his own company and he tried with all of his might to help me want to be involved in his criminal empire and literally 
Um, I remember one time sitting on some Adirondack chairs overlooking a lake that was near our house. And he would say for me, expletives deleted, hey, this honesty thing, Carol, this is blank for the birds. Right. In this world, you have two choices. You lie first or you lie second. First is better. And oddly enough, that really propelled me <laughs> towards wanting to help people be good. Um, he was not terribly evil, but the way he treated people was remarkable and exactly the opposite of what I would want for my leaders, even though he was not a terrible human. Now, what age were you when you got that advice in relation to lying? I chuckle slightly because you and I have had this conversation and this is powerful stuff because I'm yeah. always really intrigued as to what really inspires and drives Carol. So we're kind of getting to, to the heart of it. How old were you? Well, um, that lecture, I was probably maybe, that was fairly old. I was probably like 18, 17, but it began when I was six. Wow. Um, so I remember one time, I think I was four or six, I'm playing in the, in the living room and my father comes in and he goes, come on, come with me. I'm like, why dad? He goes, I need a kid. I go, what do you mean you need a kid? Because I've got a really important business deal. And if I show up in a t-shirt with a kid, they're going to have no idea how important this is. So you get in the room, you play, you shut up and you be the kid. I'm like, okay, sure, dad. And I would go off and I would be the kid. Um, so when I saw Paper Moon, uh, I could relate to it. The movie with Tatum O'Neill and her sociopathic father, and they go across the country. So in some ways, you were a prop uh, when you were six. Well, are, are you uh, brothers and sisters or only child? I have one older sister, and my sister is an actual genius. In fact, she's the reason that when I grew up, I had no idea I was smart because she was so much smarter. Okay. Um, and when we talk about smart, now you told me, because at the moment, many people will know who you are and what you do, but tell us about your academic credentials back in the day and, and how you viewed yourself in relation to what you were capable of doing. Well, as I said, when you grow up with a genius, even if you're quite smart, and I am quite smart, I am not, some people are like other. So I, I grew up utterly uninterested in school. Um, I loved diving and riding and, and stuff like that. And I was a solid B minus C plus student. Okay. And when I was in high school, the guidance counselor, so in the US, when you're thinking about college, you your parents, or in this case, my mother went to talk to the guidance counselor who said, Carol's very nice, um, but you don't need to send this one to a four-year college. My mother came home. <laughs> what I'm about to say to you, people think this is like a trauma story, but it, it totally wasn't. I was very encouraged. My mother came home and said, listen, they said that I don't need to send you to college, but we still will. Um, but listen, you need to know it's really okay to be average. Average people can make a really important impact on the world. And I was very encouraged. And, and let's be honest, the majority of people are average. 
I think, <laughs> by, by the very nature <laughs> of it. So maybe I, I'm one of those. Yes, I'm, I'm proud to be average and I'll try and <laughs> exceed all expectations. Um, yeah. I still want to come back. I, st- I still want to talk a little bit about family life because you know that I'm absolutely, uh, I'm passionate and I'm curious about that, the human-centered leadership piece and in relation mm-hmm. to how you've become so purpose-driven. I'm going to come back to the words that you've chosen to use. It's almost the lawyer in me. Uh, Carol is intrigued uh, as regards the words that you, uh, the words that you've used. Going back to Dad, I know that when I read through some of your literature, there's a statement that really jumped out for me, and that's when you're seen as powerful, people stop telling you the truth. Mm-hmm. Has that got something to do with Dad? Because you said he was the CEO, he was he was successful. Uh, was he powerful in some ways because of his of his business accolades? Has it come from there that when you're powerful, people stop telling you truth, the truth to power stops? Tell me a little bit about that. Well, that's interesting. No, that didn't really come from him. But I remember being shocked when I was an adolescent and my father was um, really nudgy about something. And I remember I looked at him, I said, Dad, just shut up and sit down. And to my stunned shock, he did. So it could be that I got used to speaking truth to powerful people when I was relatively young. Um, But that I've mostly seen in the business world, so much fear in people. And that's one of the joys, as you know, of being a coach, because you come in from the outside, you're given massive permission, because it's not that I'm that brave. It's that I'm pretty brave, but you're given permission to tell the truth when you're the coach. Do you think that actually that relationship in the early days with your dad has in some ways stood you in good stead for now your ability to work at the highest levels with some of the biggest CEOs from some of the largest corporations who, as you say, have got enormous roles, are probably carrying fairly sizable weight of fear with them too. Has that helped in some way? Totally. Absolutely, totally. One of the things I did is my father would take me all kinds of places. So one one summer I hung out with sort of the Monte Carlo crowd that has luxury yachts and fancy cars and and things like that. And by being typically the only non-titled person in a room, I really got to experience these people and see that they were, you know, they're all at the funeral, um, that they were really people underneath and that, that despite how other people saw them and they weren't very happy. So that's one. The other is I met some very interesting people with my father. The worst person I ever met was the underboss of the Genovese mob family. And he was quite terrifying. I did not have any capacity to tell him the truth, particularly when I did something and he started yelling at me. So I did experience some people are just too scary. But so in contrast, the CEOs that I work with, so maybe they're cranky and they're, you know, bullet, they're not evil. Mm. And there's a big difference. I I want to, there's always a yin to a yang, isn't there? And I know you mentioned very, very briefly your mom. And I think when we spoke uh, a few weeks ago, you said that actually mom had very high morals, so was mm-hmm. mom very much a, a contrast to, to dad as you were growing up? Yes, absolutely. As you said, the yin to the yang. 
She was very spiritual growing up. And I think that in her way, she was very purpose driven. So I think having the kind of that huge contrast in front of me with this man who went from rags to multi, multi millionaire back to rags in the true sociopathic fashion. And then my mother being more kind of steady and earnest and wanting to learn things and help people. So I think having those extreme choices in front of me, I think did sort of bring out that sort of purpose-driven part of me. So as we're having this conversation, we're almost living at the success leaves clues. I'm starting to find those clues. Now there's the detective of me coming out, Carol. So I'm looking for the clues in relation to what it is you do. I'm going to come back to the purpose statement because you've obviously thought long and hard and chosen with care the words that sum up your purpose statement. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, we all have difficult times. We all have darker days. Uh, and hopefully that's probably your North Star. Let me start with this. A conduit of joy. Tell me a little bit about that. Okay. So um, that is a direct quote from a wonderful coach I had. Ruth Ann Harnish was a sort of media coach and, and turned out to be much more than that for me. She's the woman who eventually uh, gave me $2 million to start the Institute of Coaching. Yes, I saw that. Um, but what she said one time, I was, uh, she was a magnificent coach. I actually owe a lot of how I am as a coach to her because she was highly warm and highly confrontational. And so that just, I sort of got to absorb that from her. But one time I was I was whining about a keynote I had to give. And she finally said, sort of quoting uh, uh, Maya Angelou, she's like, Carol, stop whining. Um, nobody's going to remember what you say. They're going to remember how you made them feel. Right. And you, Carol Kaufman, are a conduit of joy. Let that come through. Wow. And, and that's been true for me ever since. And the conduit part is important. Because I feel like, first of all, the more you're in the spotlight, the less it's actually about you. It's about the message that needs to come through you to people. And for me to do that with joy. Um, I mean, coaching for me is a lot of fun. My clients are usually laughing. Um, When I confront them, they usually then actually feel better about themselves. So that conduit of joy part and never shaming anyone. I think is really core to who I am. And I think that's such an important message in itself, what you just said. Do you know what? I'm I'm reflecting slightly, Carol. And I remember you and I met for the first time probably just only a few weeks ago. And actually, we had a really joyful and fun conversation. Well, that's certainly my recollection of it when we had it. Uh, It was actually terrible, Adam. It was really... (laughs) (laughs) You heard it here first. There we go. I can edit that. Can I edit that bit out? I don't know. Joking, but but with that, let me so let me move on from conduit of joy to an again interesting use of the words here now, sword of truth. Tell yeah, me a little bit about that. Two things. It actually came from reading a Japanese novel about a historical novel about this incredible swordsman and how um, it's not so much the actually cutting somebody, but being able to. Um, be clean, be clear, and and sort of, you know, speak what the person needs to hear to cut through to the truth. And that goes on as well, doesn't it? Because you're talking about now to care and challenge 
the powerful. Yes. So yes. there's that contrast again. And I'm I'm yes. I'm making links where they may not be links, but I'm thinking of, you know, the stories you've just told me now about the yin and the yang. How mm -hmm. does one, you know, those those scales, how do you balance those in someone? Tell me a little bit about that. Well, um, I believe that if you don't care about someone and care about them deeply, that you don't have the right to challenge them or to confront them because that is either shaming or painful. So I think of it as, um, I'm, I might get the football wrong, but, and I'm talking European football, I think of it as an offsides foul that if you, 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 if you, if you care about someone, okay, let me do it this way. So if you care, let's say you care about them this much, right. going this, you're allowed to confront them this much. But if you confront more than you care, it's a foul. That's like, it's not okay. You can't get above or ahead of the caring. So if you confront more than you care, that's not good. That's the foul. I like I like the fact that you're actually using uh, football. Or can, do we say soccer? I don't know. <laughs> I say football now. I've worked enough in, the, in Europe that... <laughs> Football is football. You're right. <laughs> Not American football. And then that goes on to, to say to galvanize their goodness to protect those they serve in the world. Again, help me understand a little, a little bit about that. Well, it's just it's just amazing um, that if you can, uh, a lot of these people have had sort of the 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 goodness almost trained out of them. You know, they've had such such pressures. I mean, the pressures on these people would just crush an ordinary person. But most of them are really good humans. And you want to kind of inspire that in them. So you might even say, you know, so, you know, what's the positive impact that you want to have? You know, what kind of leader do you want to be? And with one person, I just said, well, how do you feed your soul? I remember he goes, soul? I, I have a soul, don't I? I mean, just you know, it, again, you you cannot, I mean, I guess you can sort of, but the pressure they're under is just amazing. And how to, and it's not just them, for all of us, we can galvanize the goodness in one another, or we can galvanize the opposite. Now, help me with something, Carol. I, I'm passionate about human-centered leadership. And mm. I've tried to, in some ways, pull together all of the various experiences that I've had within the criminal justice sector and policing and leadership and corporate and i've seen some amazing things the best that people can bring but carol i've also seen some of the worst that people can bring and i can't unsee mm -hmm. some of those things but i've got the view and i sometimes call it that leadership superpowers are human-centered leadership capabilities such as humility vulnerability curiosity inclusivity personal purpose what are your thoughts? How important are those capabilities now in leaders in a world that's gone pretty bonkers? They're crucial in a word. They're they're absolutely core. Um, and, you know, I think so much about leadership is who you are. You know, as you started out with one of the things like, who do you want to be right now? That's one of the questions I ask my leaders a lot. And nobody wants to, well, with few exceptions that I know, but most anybody, no one wants to be evil. You know, they want to try to, I mean, nobody wakes up and says, I want to like create harm today. But I think those human qualities are absolutely core. And when you're a leader, there's much more of a mandate for you to develop those qualities because who you are will ripple out through your organization. 
I spoke to a wonderful guest a couple of times called John Amici, and he said something to which really resonated, where he said, our leadership is the promise of a lived experience for those around us. And that's that's always stayed with me. And I, I want to kind of get your thoughts in relation to leaders understanding this ripple impact that they have and their ability to role model and their ability to be positive role models to people over which they have absolutely no direct authority because they are seen as someone who has achieved or has impact or influence. Uh, again, so what are your thoughts on that? Are people's, it's like the stone in the pond, the ripple impact goes much further maybe than people understand. Absolutely. So have you ever heard of the concept of a fractal? No, tell me. Fractal. Imagine a crystal. So a crystal starts out in a certain, certain shape. And what happens is it grows by repeating that shape over and over and over and over. Okay. And think of the leader of the organization and the behaviors they engage in. Think of that as a pattern and that other people are looking at that person and patterning. So if you have someone at the core who's contemptuous and in their meeting says, you know, Adam, I can't believe you thought of that. Well, people might feel freer to repeat that behavior. But if they say something like, Adam, you know, that didn't actually work, but I believe in you and your capacity. So let's try it again. People are going to see that and pattern after that. So that's how I think that these leaders and all of us can sort of set the stage for other people to, again, bring them up or to not be a good role model. You're making me now remember so many different episodes. And I also, and it wasn't long ago, spoke to Gary Ridge. Uh, and you okay. you know Gary, you know the wonderful Gary, who was up until very recently, I think for 26 years, chairman and CEO of WD-40. We've all got a can of WD-40 somewhere in the house. And I remember he was talking me through their employee engagement and, and amazing uh, high scores. And he talked about that he doesn't refer to leaders as leaders, but everyone is a coach. And that was really important to him. And, and so, again, I'd love your thoughts on the, the importance of leaders understanding their need to coach, to mentor, and to lift up other people all the time. So I have to give, first, Adam, I have to give you a one-minute brag on Gary Ridge. <laughs> Go for so you it. Remember that, you remember the thing I said, like, who do you want to be right now? So that was a question that I should have shared in one of my Marshall Goldsmith leadership groups. And Gary was there and Gary loved that question. And I can talk about it some more. He actually has it up as a poster in his office right? Okay. <laughs> and uses it multiple times a day. And it's like leader as coach, leader as good human. I think that being able to have coaching skills as a leader is crucial. Because what you do is you can establish really positive relationships with people and help them be their best. And to and you know, and this isn't this isn't sort of idealistic dippiness. This kind of interaction is connected with higher profit, customer views, engagement. That if you can create this kind of positive environment where people can have autonomy and they can be competent and have psychological safety, it brings out the best in them. And that it, that just changes how an entire organization can run, how it can respond to new challenges and overcome when it's being disrupted. 
Interesting, you mentioned psychological safety because I'm. Uh, I've just done an episode, not released yet, with Chris Samsak. He's worked with Carol Dweck, and we talk about oh, yeah. the, the psychological safety aspect. Let me dig a little bit about the the coaching skills. Many leaders might be listening to this who aren't mm-hmm. coaches. They're not accredited or qualified in some way. But when you say the skills of the coach, what are some of those skills that you refer to that are absolutely essential for any leader? Okay, so I will give you coach training in a nutshell. Okay, what is it about a coach approach? Number one, it's the view to the future. Okay, number two, it's orienting around the skills of the other person. Number three, it is helping navigate that person forward with questions. Now, not just questions, but primarily questions. So one way you could do is um, we'll do a pretend coaching session with you right now. <gasps> okay. So now, now, I will imagine that either I'm your leader or partner. But anyway, so first question would be, and the first question I want you to actually answer, the, the rest you can decide what you want to answer. But it would be, so Adam, if you were going to work on something to make you a better leader, what would it be? Listening skills. Okay, beautiful. So to go through this, it would be, okay, why does that matter to you? So actually, why does that matter to you? In order to really hear and hear to understand, ensure I've got all of the information that's relevant and necessary. Okay, so then the coach approach that I teach leaders, it's four questions, and I won't make you go through these, but- um, But you're going to share them. No, actually, I'm no. Um, the first one is if you were a ten out of ten at listening. No, that meant that you could listen. You know, really to understand, to soak things in. I'd go. What would that look like for you? What would you be doing? And we'd really go through that. Now, it could be delegating. It could be stepping into a enterprise leader. But the first question is, if you were a ten out of ten, what would that look like? Okay. Next question is, on a scale of 1 to 10, how would you rate yourself now? So, by the way, how would you rate yourself as a listener? Seven. Okay. So, this one is the question that counts. I would then go, Adam, why are you a 7 and not a 6 or a 6.5? And I would actually do something I call positive confrontation, which I say, like, well, what are you doing right? Well, what else are you doing right? And what else are you doing right? And then when you run out of steam, I then go, and what else are you doing right? And really look at what are all the things you're doing right, because negative things are like Velcro, and they'll stick to your brain and your memory, and positive things are like Teflon, and they will slide away. It is much more neurologically and cognitively and emotionally more difficult to truly articulate what is right about you and what you're doing right. So really it's sort of, that's the caring confrontation. What are you doing right? What are you doing right? And then the fourth question is, so Adam, over the next eight weeks, what could you do to get from a seven to a 7.5? And that is a very simple coaching conversation. I could now launch off into a two hour lecture on all the research studies that support that, but I will let you off the hook. <laughs> but I'm going to ask you about how people can get in contact with you and resources. We'll come on to that for sure. But I love that. I love that also the reference to the Velcro and the Teflon. 
and mm. how some things are, are easier to almost articulate than others. So I love that. And anyone listening to this can actually take that as advice and, and put that into practice as a leader in order to have more of a coaching mindset for the people that they lead and interact with. Um, I want to ask you some questions because I know you're doing so many things and also you are an author. There is a book coming out, not just yet, but coming out soon. And, and I want you just to tell the listeners, uh, title of the book, Real-Time Leadership. You go on from there. Okay. Find your winning moves when the stakes are high. And the book is, well, how do you find those winning moves? You know, what do you look for? How do you get there? How do you make sure you're seeing things correctly and making change happen? And when do you say the stakes are high, what were you thinking about or what were you drawing on when you came up with that title? Because I'm, I'm intrigued mm-hmm. at that as well. Well, the stakes are high can be great opportunity. For example, when the Harnish Foundation gave me $2 million, those were high stakes and it sort of blew my identity away and I had to learn how to grow. But it can also be sudden disruption. I had a client who had worked, their company had worked for a year on a product and during the press conference, um, literally, the reporters are waiting. They hear that a very large competitor has come out with the same product, or they're about to. And they have to, in real time, try to negotiate a partnership rather than being taken over. Right. And, you know, the two companies have leaders falling, helicoptering over, very high stakes. So how do you, in real time, freeze that moment? and make a choice about what's the best thing to do. Now, people will be able to get a copy of this book in the new year, but let's let's whet the appetite and tell them a little bit about MOVE because there's a a, a formula, forgive me if that's the wrong word, uh, in relation to the things that people can consider and think about in order to win in that high-stakes environment. So just give us Mm -hmm. an outline of MOVE. Okay. So the the first part of move is what I just hinted at, is how when something's coming at you, do you hold the space to make a decision and find the winning move? Okay. So where can you find the winning move? So move is four things. Um, M is for being mindfully alert. This is like a tennis player is mindfully alert. O is for options generating. What stance you're going to take towards the challenge? So, for example, like a tennis player, if something's coming towards your forehand, you set one way. Backhand, you set another way. So, we'll sort of talk about different options of how you approach problems. V is to validate your vantage point. Do you need to be close up? Do you need to be high up? What are you not seeing that can kill you? And then E is to engage and affect change, how to send out the signals, hear what's going on, and help your people move forward. And tell us a little bit about the book. Uh, Has Mm -hmm. that got uh, research in it, uh, examples from your life? Other, Tell us what else we can expect to uh, see and read in that book. Sure. Well, what I'm I'm told, what was unique about it, because I sold it to Harvard Business Review in a half an hour accidentally. I thought I was looking for a ghostwriter and it turned out I was talking to a senior editor (laughs) to which he said, well, I'll buy the book. And what it is, what did he like about it was it was a combination of really good stories, lots of um, business savvy, as well as a lot of coaching experience. So it's a combination book in many ways, leadership, business, 
And we tell very powerful stories about how leaders have changed and what they've done. Here's an interesting question for you. Is that a book you could or couldn't have written about 10 years ago? Oh, I love that you asked that. I could not have written it 10 years ago to save my life. Okay. So in some ways, all roads have led to this place. Yes. Well, the key part is the co-author, David Noble. David Noble um, was the CEO, launched the world's first digital bank, has been a strategist. And what we do is we team up. So the book, um, David is first author. And um, and we literally very often wrote it together real time on Google Docs. And he brings the headset of the strategist, the operational leader. Um, and then I bring the behavioral and the um, kind of the coaching skills. And we sort of put it together, which is why I certainly couldn't have written it uh, previously, A, without him, but B, the combination of business leadership, right. you know, it's kind of got a lot of soul to it as well. And this will be available when? Tell everyone when. February 23. So coming up. So it'll be all about, we'll talk about the three dimensions of leadership, how to generate options, validate your vantage point, effect change and move forward. Now, you made a reference to tennis. Yes. Why? I ask because I'm a massive tennis fan and player. Aha. Well, when I think of what does a leader need to do, and leader needs to be agile and to make all these decisions in real time. And I really think in tennis, you have to do that. So one of the things we talk about is the three dimensions of leadership, which is what's going on externally, internally, and between. And if you think of a tennis player, first of all, you've got to be really clear on what is my external goal at this moment. It could be the shot. It could be intimidating your partner. If you're doubles, it could be helping your partner. So what is the external thing you have to do? Then internally, do you have the fortitude to do it? You know, sort of the inner game. Um, you know, do you have the emotion regulation to do this? You know, can you metabolize pain? So what are the inner qualities you need to do? And also to remember your love of the game. So what goes inside. And then what goes around you is what does the other person need in this moment? So if you're playing doubles, you know, does your partner need you to communicate with them in a certain way, emanate your belief in them in a certain way? Does your opponent need to sort of see that you can be aggressive, but not mean? So it's sort of what what's going on around you. And then of course, the four stances. So, you know, what what you do, we talk about when the problem is coming at you, do you lean in and engage? Do you lean back and observe? Do you lean with and connect with the person? Or do you not lean and just have the capacity to reflect? And for me, tennis works really well with that. Are you a tennis player? Not at all. I'm fascinated by this. Do you know what, Carol, I lost no, yeah. a semi-final last night and I've got a final tomorrow. What advice have you got for me? Ah, uh, yes, I do have advice. Please, um, I need it. The advice, the advice is throw yourself into it with everything you have, all the knowledge you have, and then let everything go. When you are there, you let everything go. And you let the tennis game that is inside you, your very best tennis game, 
let it out. You know, I'm going to email you after the final now and tell you how I got on right. You do know that's mm-hmm. going to happen, yes? Yes, I hope so. <laughs> With that. People are listening to this now thinking, what on earth is going on? Uh, but that's <laughs> lovely that we linked it. Now, how do people get in contact with you, Carol, if they want to continue the conversation, get you involved uh, in their conversation and the work that they're doing? Best way? The best way is to visit my website, which is carolkaufman.com. But remember, there's two Fs and there's one N and there's no E in Carol. So C-A-R-O-L-K-O-U-F-F-M-A-N.com. And then um, there is a sneak peek available to the book. To see real-time leadership and you can get a sneak peek. Great. So people can uh, go to that site and they can get that resource as well. Yes. Which is brilliant. My final question to you, Carol, because it's been great having you on the show, is, wow, out of all of the work that you've done and all the experiences that you've had, is there a piece of leadership advice that really stands out for you that you've given or received? Something that stands out for whatever reason? Hmm. I promise I could say a million things at once. That's why I'm intrigued no, as to what um, might. I think the one that that is most important is the who do you want to be right now? One of the people in my group was the CEO of Ancestry.com. And what she did, she actually made me realize how powerful it was because she said, you know, Carol, after after that meeting, I was on Zoom. It was my 10th call of the day and I just wanted out. Then I asked myself, who do I want to be right now? And she went, you know, the least important meeting of my day is the most important meeting of theirs. And that's who I want to be right now. Someone who can treat every person with great importance and to really help them feel like she's there for them. So So I ask that of myself a lot. So who do you want to be right now? Right now. In some ways, almost recalibrated that CEO in that moment. And she changed tack. Mm-hmm. Well, then that's pretty powerful stuff, isn't it? Listen, Carol, it's been absolutely amazing to have you on the show. It's been thoroughly. Ent- I hope you've had fun. Yes, of course. <laughs> it's great. Thanks so much. Take great care. And I hope we'll speak to you again soon on The Leadership Enigma. Me too. Thank you, Adam. Join us again next week for more tips and strategies on The Leadership Enigma. We'd love to hear your comments on today's show, as well as suggestions for future topics and guests. Get in touch with your host on LinkedIn or our YouTube channel. And remember to get your daily learning to build success at www.insights.emeritus.org. Download the Insights app and start learning for free. Please don't forget to rate, review and subscribe on all your major podcast platforms. Thanks for listening.